0: This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals.
1: It's the week of August 4th, 2014 and this is Michael Howey welcoming you to episode 142 of Defender Radio. Once upon a time, Rob Laidlaw was a young man who wanted to protect animals. Today. Rob has become an animal advocacy powerhouse as the head of ZooCheck Canada, a frequent speaker, and most recently, author of a series of best-selling and award-winning children's books. Titles such as No Shelter Here and Saving and Changing Hearts have won multiple awards, been translated into numerous languages, and have hit the shelves of schools and libraries from coast to coast. It has also catapulted Rob's career in a direction he never expected. To celebrate the release of his latest book, 5 Elephants, Rob joined Defender Radio to talk about the path that led him to becoming a best-selling children's book author, learning how to be an advocate, and what young people, as well as their parents, can be doing to better the lives of animals around the world. So uh, we want to talk today about um, your books. I, I got the new one, 5 Elephants. Uh, it's a beautiful book, uh, really well written, some lovely photos and information. Um, before we start getting into the books, though, I wanted to talk a bit about your background that has led you to this point, um, because you do have an in, you have an interesting story, I think, of how you kind of got involved with animal advocacy and animal welfare, and it led to the point where you're working at Zoocheck and you're writing books. So, can you tell me a bit about your history as a, a person who loved animals?
0: Well, when I was a kid, I had always. Uh had an intense interest in animals and I'd watched every show that was on television. So the old shows like uh, Untamed Kingdom and uh, Wild Kingdom and the old Jacques Cousteau specials and anything that came on about animals, I would watch. And I was also the kid who in school had read every book about animals in the library and every book about conservation and every book about ecology and all of these related issues. And I also, uh, on my own, uh, proactively wrote to any organizations. I heard about like Compassionate World Farming, and the World Society for Protection of Animals, and all these other groups that uh, existed back in the 60s and 70s and and early 80s. So even when I was quite young, uh, I was very familiar with a lot of the animal issues. And uh, in 1979, I attended uh, an early incarnation of the uh, TIFF Festival, the Toronto International Film Festival. And at that particular film festival at the Kingsway Theater, there was a film showing called The Animals Film, which was done by a a producer named Moses Schoenfeld out of New York. And The Animals Film uh, was essentially two hours and 20 minutes of uh, documentation uh, about what humans did to animals. So everything from uh, factory farms to culling of wildlife to animals used in laboratory research to hunting to you name it it was in this film and it was actually quite a difficult film to watch and a lot of people actually left the theater because this was back at a time before the internet and a lot of the images that are commonplace today people just didn't see and they were all in this film so a lot of people actually felt sick and they left the theater but i stuck through it and at the end of this film there was a segment on uh, a group called the Northern Animal Liberation League, and they were a little bit different than the old Animal Liberation Front, which did the clandestine raids at night to get animals out or cause property damage. This was a group that uh, had uh, assembled people at various locations in Scotland and Northern England, and they would march to a facility that was abusing animals and just take it over and were garnering uh, a great deal of sympathy in the public and a lot of positive press. And that was sort of the point for me that said, okay, I know what's going on. I've seen this film. Here's this call to action. I've got to do something. So I started the very next day looking for an issue that I could get involved in. And uh, I ended up doing my own independent investigations uh, on slaughterhouses and stockyards. Because back then, you could talk your way in onto the kill floor of a slaughterhouse or into a factory farm and investigate and photograph what was going on. Uh, One thing led to another. I got involved with a group called Mobilization for Animals and became the Canadian coordinator for that. We had a full-time office down at Spadina and Bloor in Toronto. Uh, and then I helped with some other groups and uh, eventually I decided, okay, I've got to do something where I can actually achieve a tangible result because up until that point, it was largely you know, raising the profile of issues, hopefully educating people, hopefully influencing behavior or policy, but never knowing for sure. And I said, that's not good enough we've got to, at the end of each year, know what we've done, know that we've taken a step forward for animals. So I started looking for uh, issues where uh, that would be the case if enough effort was expended to make that happen. And I attended a zoo up near Wasega Beach and that was the issue
1: from that point onward. So uh, I guess... Like they say in the movies, the rest is history. <laughs> well, and you've achieved a, <clears throat> excuse me, a great amount, uh, since that time. Uh, Zuchek is known around the world. You have played a vital role in getting animals removed from facilities and in, uh, really just making the country a better place for captive animals. Um, and as you've been doing this, you began writing children's books. And these weren't the typical, uh children's book of a cute story with a deep message somewhere hidden in the background nor were they graphic trying to you know shock people in the things but they're very nice stories often with very nice illustrations and photography trying to show animals in a different light a different way than people are used to seeing them uh what drove you to wanting to write these kinds of books Actually, I never wanted to, um, <laughs> and in two, late 2007,
0: I got a call from a publisher, and they said, could you meet me and one of my editors, this was the owner of the, of the company, uh, could you meet me and one of my editors down at the Prince Hotel, and we wanted to talk to you about something. And I said, okay, And I never even asked what it was about. I assumed something to do with books. Uh, And my partner, she said to me, how on earth could you get a call like that and not ask what they want to meet about? And I said, well, I'll find out at the meeting. Uh, She was astounded because she said she would never let that go by. She'd want to know exactly what it was about. Anyways, I went to this meeting. And it was about an hour and a half. It was at the old Prince Hotel uh, in the restaurant on the main floor at York Mills and Don Mills in Toronto. And, uh, they pitched a children's book to me, and I had never ever considered writing a children's book, uh, previously. In fact, I had made every effort during the previous 20 or 25 years to avoid ever having anything to do with kids. I had never spoken to kids in a school. I had never tried to engage kids, but I said, okay, I'll do this. And, uh, I thought that, uh, you know, knowing nothing about children's books or the book business, I thought, okay, they'll print a 1,000 copies, and a few will sell, and the rest will be stuck in that 25-cent box of chapters, you know, because nobody wants them, and it'll be a footnote on a resume at some point. Uh, well, I was quite surprised, because that's not what happened. Uh, the first book did very, very well in Canada. It was very well-received, nominated for all kinds of awards, And that led to a second book and a third book and a fourth book. And, um, you know, now I'm working on books seven and eight and they're in thousands and thousands of libraries and schools all over North America. They're published in other countries and I don't have anything scientific, but I get a lot of anecdotal feedback, uh, from, from kids who have read them. And, uh, Just to give you the most recent thing that I've heard is my book, uh, No Shelter Here, Making the World a Kinder Place for Dogs. There's now a whole project being done by schools in one area of the U.S. based on the book. So I've gotten a lot of anecdotal feedback uh, that has provided me with the reactions of kids to the material. It's been very positive and motivating for many of them and has actually created uh, action for animals in many cases. And that's very nice to hear. And this is a whole audience that uh, I didn't even know existed for this uh, pro-animal message. And I'm now thinking I should have started this many years before, because kids can be mobilized to help and to be politically active for animals. So... You know, it's nice to have seen that happen with these books. It was very unexpected, and it's continued, and the response has been very, very good. And uh, I, I have to say that I'm very
1: surprised by all of it. You still sound surprised by all of it, and it's been going on for years. Yes, well you know, I don't really consider myself a writer and people
0: say, Well, but you know, you've got all these books out and you're winning awards and this is that you're a writer but I don't feel like when I'm just an activist and, you know, I I write reports and I write uh, things that I feel strongly about, but I don't write because I love it. In fact, I don't even like writing. Uh, but uh, I write because it's a great way to uh, get the message out there and to reach another audience, a young audience, and their parents because there's an actually another surprising thing. There's quite a large adult readership for uh, children's nonfiction books, um, and not just their parents. When I do book uh, events and talks i sell more books children's books to adults that have kids than i do to kids themselves so uh there's a very large adult readership but it's nice to know that this is yet another vehicle for reaching people that i didn't even know existed previously
1: well yeah and you know uh, jk rowling taught us that lesson i'd say uh if we had forgotten it that's um You can write for children, but a good story is a good story. Yeah, exactly. That's a
0: fantastic example because I know many adults. I've actually never read a J.K. Rowling book, uh, but I know many adults who uh, read everything that she produces religiously. And, uh, you know, there are obviously many
1: hundreds of thousands of people that are adults that are doing the same. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors.
0: You're listening to Defender
1: Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com or call 416.
0: Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at Bearsmart.com Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbours by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at CoyoteWatchCanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species.
1: Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel, leg-hold, conibear, and other body-gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at furbearerdefenders.com. To find out how you can give hope for our fur-bearing friends.
0: This is Defender Radio.
1: We're back with more from our interview with Rob Laidlaw, the best-selling and award-winning author of several books, including his latest, Five Elephants. Let's talk about Five Elephants, the latest book. It's uh, it's from Fitzhenry and Whiteside, available uh, at Fitzhenry.ca and various other locations. Uh, what was the the driving force for this one specifically? Uh, I think you're probably most well known by people who are interested in elephants, uh, because that's been a large amount of your work, especially in Toronto, uh, with the elephants we had here, and you were a, a major proponent in getting them moved to a sanctuary. Um, so I, I guess that that's sort of almost a two part question: is what was the purpose of this book, and why elephants now? Well, I think the uh purpose of of Five
0: Elephants is to inform young people uh, as to the realities of elephants in the wild and in captivity, and then uh, from that, what they can do about it. I think elephants are a very uh, important issue right now. Uh, in both those circumstances, captivity in the wild, because, you know, most people know that, uh, elephants are declining in the wild, particularly in Africa due to the, uh, poaching of, uh, elephants for their ivory tusks and then, um, you know, they're also lessening in numbers in Asia due to human-elephant conflict and habitat fragmentation and things like that. So we're sort of at a crossroads with this very iconic, charismatic uh, animal that everybody knows, and it's an important time for them. And there's many people that believe if we can't save elephants, then what can we save? So I think it's sort of uh, 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 a focal point for for many of of The conservation and wildlife issues and then in captivity it's also uh, an important time because uh, over the last five to ten years uh, and it's increasing with each passing year there's more and more discussion about should we keep certain kinds of animals in captivity and elephants are one of those animals that all over the world now have become increasingly controversial in captivity. So there are campaigns uh, in India and in Eastern Europe and the UK and South America and here in North America, uh, local, regional, national, and international campaigns aimed at trying to improve the lives of captive animals or to get them out of zoo captivity altogether. So, you know, this captivity issue with elephants is also sort of a focal point for many of the issues that surround zoos and circuses and other captive situations. So I felt it was a very opportune time to produce a book that explained to kids the realities of these animals in the wild and in captivity. Uh, And particularly captivity because much of what goes on with elephants uh, in captivity is geared towards kids so circuses you know are primarily focused on kids uh, or at least the traditional big top animal circuses and certainly kids are the focal point uh to a large extent of zoos as well so i think it's very important to inform that constituency provide information that they may not have had access to previously so that they can decide for themselves whether or not they want to support this. My belief is that uh, for most people, certainly not all, but for most people, if you provide uh, balanced, accurate information to them, then my feeling is that they will naturally uh, gravitate towards protecting the animal's interests. And that's been my experience over the years, seeing that myself with with work that that we've done and certainly with some of these books. So, you know, I just felt it was an opportune time for for many reasons to produce a book like Five Elephants.
1: All right, and, and going through it, what I really enjoy about the way the book is structured is you you have the story of five elephants uh hence the title but after each story um which which is full of compassion and interest and shows the character you've got sections about elephants um and it's written in such a way that a reader won't recognize that they're being schooled in evolutionary history or um Uh, you know, forced adaptation and things like that. Very uh, classic scientific concepts that have been written in a very easy-to-read way. Um, How did you come to the side on this format of telling these five individual stories and linked in with all of this other uh, vital information? Well, the original concept was uh, something that occurred to me. I thought, if I was a kid
0: sitting there and I wanted to mention to another kid uh, about a book you know what would resonate in terms of titles and I thought five elephants I would love to read five elephants that's easy to say easy to remember uh, and actually uh Fitzhenry and Whiteside the publisher is now doing the whole five animal series uh, and Dagg, a world-renowned giraffe expert uh, just finished five drafts and the next one will be five bears which I think I'll be doing um, so it's led to a, a whole series that the company will be producing all based on, on animal welfare. But originally I just thought this is a great title and I thought five elephants would um, be enough in in terms of numbers of individual animals to explain the various ways that these animals live their lives. So. Uh, What I tried to do was to take five elephants that had very different life histories to illustrate what elephants have gone through in the past and are going through in the present. I didn't want to just tell the same kind of story every time, Uh, but, you know, I thought that was uh, something that would be interesting to people. Uh, It would be informative. And then between that, I thought, you know, you don't just want to tell the stories, you also have to provide information about biology, behavior, natural lifestyles of these animals, because I believe that if you know how these animals live, then that will let you deliberate internally or externally, if if you're in that situation, uh, in a much better way than if you don't know what these animals are. I think a lot of people go to see elephants in the zoo or the circus, or they go to see other animals. They don't know what these animals are, so what they see they assume is okay. I think if you know how these animals live, how they're adapted to the environments in which they live, you know, how they relate to their conspecifics and and all, all these other things, if you know that animal, then when you see a bad circumstance, you're going to recognize it. So putting all that extra information in between the stories, I think is very important, you know, so that
1: people have a better understanding Uh, of what these animals are. One thing I I really enjoy is at the end of the book in the the chapter uh, Hope for the Future is you list how to become an elephant guardian and you've got uh, nine steps for for children to take part in you've got stick or the images of stickers for animal protection groups and a listing of elephant welfare organizations that seems to me to be exactly what you needed as a child uh, based on what you said is that kind of Uh, Do you do you consider that correlation of what you're providing now, uh, so many years later, is exactly what you were interested in when you were the age of the target of this book?
0: Oh yeah, I would actually uh, have loved to have had books like that when I was (laughs) young. And I have to say that uh, in this particular book, Five Elephants, there wasn't—you know—I certainly mentioned people who are helping elephants, both adults and kids. Uh, but I didn't focus so much on kids this time. In previous books, I've profiled uh, kids, some as young as six or seven years old, that are doing amazing things to help animals. You know, some of them are just volunteering their time at a local shelter for animals. Some of them are, instead of having gifts for their birthday parties, they are soliciting donations and contributing them to causes. But there are other kids at the other end of the continuum, some of them very young, that are, Running very sophisticated political campaigns and are winning issues. Uh, one of them in my dog book I profiled is, is named uh, Jordan Starr, and he ran a campaign to stop convenience de vocalization of dogs in Massachusetts. Well, you know he was 16 years old, and that campaign resulted in the first uh, anti-de vocalization law in the United States. For the, you know, and it was in this entire state of Massachusetts. There are kids doing these amazing things. So. You know, my hope, uh, in addition to you know helping people be able to make informed decisions, is that they inspire at least some people uh, to get active and uh, to see what other people are are doing. Uh, hopefully, that's
1: a motivating factor in getting them to to be active. Absolutely, and my. Last question for you is actually about the dedication of the book. Uh, you wrote dedicated to elephant advocates everywhere and to the more than 1,000 park rangers who have been killed trying to protect elephants and other wild animals. And that's something I think a lot of people forget, um, is the lives that the illegal elephant poaching trade, uh, involves. And we, uh, spoke with, um, uh, what was it called, um, I can't remember now. The animal advocacy group out of Europe that's doing uh, investigations and uh, talked a lot about that darker side of this that people don't necessarily see. How important is it for people to recognize the people who have put their lives on the line in the very literal sense to protect these animals that we enjoy reading and talking about?
0: I think it's very important to remember that, and for people to realize that um, you know the perception uh, largely perpetuated by the people who abuse animals or exploit animals that anybody who cares are you know green hippie tree hugger types. you know i think we have to uh make clear that that's not the case at all there are people uh of all ages uh all income brackets all nationalities all races all value systems that are out there trying to help animals uh some of them are directly in the line of fire like the people who are fighting criminal syndicates that are using ivory to fund uh civil conflict or or other uh you know other types of activities that uh shouldn't be supported um in in the places where they live uh and of course there's you know people that are toiling away working on international treaties and working on changing corporate behaviors and all all other types of activities i think we have to understand that hey it's not just a bunch of tree hugging hippie people that uh, are well-meaning but naive that there are a lot of scientists there are a lot of people from all walks of life that are working very hard, some of them in very dangerous situations, and we should be supporting all of them uh, because it's a tough job, especially with the world that we live in today. And, uh, you know, if they are not supported, then they're not going to be successful.
1: And I'm going to throw one more final question on the pile. Uh, as someone who, who said uh, just a few minutes ago that he never thought he'd be talking to children and never gave it a lot of thought, Now that you've got the attention of children and adults alike uh, around the world through these books, what's the one piece of advice that you want to pass on to children who have an interest in animals and animal welfare? Well, it's the same advice I would always given to adults. Uh, There's an old saying, and I don't know if I've got it,
0: 100% accurate, but you know, uh, saying is that all it takes for evil to triumph is for good to do nothing. I think that's very true. So the message that I would give to everybody from six to 86 is do something, anything, you know, find your place on the continuum of activity and just get going. You know, it could be, 15 minutes a week on the internet looking at these, uh, web platforms that you can just plug your name in and send letters off on issues. It could be deciding to, at the other end of the continuum, uh, quit your job and devote your whole life to helping. You know, just find what you can do anywhere on that continuum and do it and always seek to improve. If everybody
1: did that, the world would be entirely different. To learn more about Rob's books, visit roblaidlawbooks.com. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank Rob Laidlaw for taking the time to chat with us, as well as Brad Gates of Gates AAA Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of this program. Until next time, this is Michael Howie, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.